Hello, everybody. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Genealogy Adventures. Yes, yes. Welcome to Genealogy Adventures. Oh, we have a um, really great show uh, today. We, we're, we're lined up with uh, Althea Sumter with the Gullah Geechee. But before we bring um, Althea on, I just want to say congratulations to my cousin Brian for an awesome showing at the Virginia, what was it called again? Um, oh, the Library of Virginia Conference on Family Research. Yes, he was there yesterday, and it's been popping up with people just on our genealogy page. It's hot. And um, they were just really just congratulating him and happy to meet him and things of that nature on his overall, um, just his speech on, on, on Native American migration and things and African American migration and things of that nature. I also want to congratulate our winner, who was our 2000th, um, our 2000th person to like the page, Mitchell Gordon. We are excited. We're going to start looking on his stuff. So Mitchell will win a 10-hour researching by Brian and myself. And um, we're going to research his family and some information on his family. And his cousin, Time White, will be the one that will be online as we divulge her information, their information and what we found and things of that nature. So congratulations to you, Mitchell. Um, Brian, is there anything you want to say before I introduce Althea? Uh, nope, to, just to say thank you for that. Um, also, to let everyone know, I can't go into details at the moment, but I'm very pleased to say that a publisher has reached out to me and asked me to write two genealogy books. So that's going to be me as a very busy bloke for the next couple of months. Can I say how happy I am for him? I just need y'all to know that. Like, I love my cousin with everything in me, and I'm telling you I want to be like him when he grow up. When I grow up, that's who I want to be like, right there. So I'm so happy. I'm so proud of him that he's just just be, received that. Um, we're having some issues as far as our video is concerned. So if you guys are leaving messages, continue to leave the messages. We may reply to you a little slowly, but we will reply to you. We also will, if you have questions for our, um, out there, for our guests, Put them up there, and we'll hopefully be able to get them live so that you can ask them. So without further ado, I would like to introduce to you guys Althea Sumter. Althea is our um, Gullah Geechee guru. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> so hey, Althea, how are you today? Hello, and thank you for inviting me on your show. No problem, no problem. We're very excited. So let me say this, Brian. Mm -hmm. When I was talking to Althea over inbox. The first thing she wanted to clear up, there are no slashes between Gullah and Geechee. Oh, okay. I just I learned something new already. So before you go into explaining that, I want you to tell people who you are and what's your expertise in all of this. My name is Althea Sumter, and I'm from St. Helena Island, South Carolina. That is uh, part of the uh, Beaufort County and of the Gullah Geechee Cultural Heritage Corridor. And that corridor was designated in 2006 as the first heritage area designated by congressional law and the only heritage area that uh, is, represents a culture within this country. So I um, have not only am I from St. Helena Island, but part of the Gullah Geechee culture 
has become significant in recent years because it was not a culture recognized until very recently. And I have, uh, I'm a former uh, producer and uh, documentary producer for non-fiction uh, documentary, uh, uh, non-fiction storytelling. And I've turned that, uh, my career into uh, academic career, teaching those who want to go into production. And I have since recently retired from teaching, but now focus all of my work on documenting the stories of elders. Awesome. And that's what I concentrate on now. All right. All right. I will leave you for the first question. <laughs> well, my first question basically is, um, I, see, I don't want to jump into that right away, but in a way I do. One of the things that I've learned in my research for our family is that through DNA, I've learned that I actually have some connection to the Gullah Geechee culture, mm -hmm. but I have no idea how, no idea who, no idea where, no, and and it's just, uh, it's a question to me for the two places to be so different from each other. They're like, you know, Edgefield is here. It's more northern. And then you have the St. Helen, Helena and the Beaufort County. It's further down. It's over onto the coast or if I'm not mistaken. I don't see where they collided. So how do I go about trying to find out like where, where my how my roots got mixed with the Gullah Geechee roots. And I, I look at the storytelling from what you see in your genealogy. And I start looking for those kernels that give me historical information and start exploring the context of your family story. And so that's what I follow. I follow. Uh, people can do the DNA I have done my DNA that has now disclosed that I have even Chinese and uh, East uh, and South Asian DNA along with Scandinavian. So how that does unfold, I have no idea. Wow. But uh, dominate in terms of the cultural groups, the ethnic groups that uh, uh, creolize the Gullah Geechee culture, which is Angolan, and uh, Rice Coast, which is in Sierra Leone area. Um, but the thing that I'm finding is that uh, a lot of people may have picked up little elements of stories from their elders, and I really encourage people to do that, to look at the stories of their elders. And from there, I can take from where you are and start going back in documents that could be an amazing finds. Obituaries, I encourage people to always keep obituaries yes. because government documents do not always give all of the little details that come through in the obituaries. So one and the so the thing is that with the Gullah Geechee culture is that it goes from uh, Pender County, North Carolina, which is just above Wilmington, to St. Augustine, Florida, St. John's County, from coast to uh, 30 miles in. That's a lot of territory. So I like to define where I tracked your own family story. Is it in South Carolina, Georgia, North Carolina, or Florida? 
So one thing I'd like to do is to take a step back and kind of go right back to the beginning. So if you, and again, as you're talking about this, I'm hoping that people, as you were saying, if you can identify at least the, the state or the part of the original counties, uh, sorry, not counties, the territories, uh, colonial yes. territories, that'll help people to start thinking about the kind of records they need to, to research their Gullah ancestors. So could you just tell us a bit about the, the history of the foundation of the, the Gullah community, where they were coming from, from like the Caribbean and Africa and kind of what really went into the, the foundation of them as a distinct community? The culture is uh, creolized, and I like using that word because it's something that was uh, combined all of the ethnic groups that were picked up intact and brought to the coastal area of the Southeast coastal area from the ethnic groups in Southern Senegambia to the current day Southern Senegambia to current day Northern Liberia. And those ethnic groups were rice growers. Rice is indigenous to that location in West Africa. And indigenous rice, it was something that was uh, interested the Europeans who then took, you know, the, our, uh, my ethnic group to the coastal areas that the, uh, the topography is exactly the same to grow rice within the, the period of time that is uh, uh, the late 1600s, 1700s, 1800s, that also included the indigenous um, properties of indigo from the same rice territory and then cotton from the same territory in West Africa. The plantations that you see now along the southeastern coast those are not cotton plantations. Those are rice plantations. Mm. So rice came first. And so all those ethnic groups creolized into what we now know today as a Gullah Geechee culture. So in terms of the, the culture, before I get start drilling down into the real genealogy of it, am I right in thinking, as you're saying, they were a creolized people. Did they create kind of... Um, did they take bits and pieces from the different kind of ethnic and tribal groups that they belong to and kind of create a bigger culture out of, out of the distinctly different parts that they came from? But when you are looking at what is, even today, uh, ethnic groups that are, for example, Thai, Shribro, Temne, Minde, Limbra, uh, and so forth, if from that particular area, those ethnic groups, all rice growers, did not matter to those who are of European uh, trade wanting to grow rice in the colonies. They were just looking for people with the knowledge of rice. Okay. And so it's a matter of once getting into, and uh, you know, the language and culture and the creolization starts on the ships when you're under the belly and you try to make contact with each other even more so than the contact you've made from your origin. Uh, and so from that, you have to find a way to communicate. And if I'm looking at my DNA results, is there kind of a, 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 Gullah, a Gullah Geechee kind of African admixture that people should kind of keep an eye out for? Yeah, there are a specific list 
of ethnic groups within that area that are the uh, uh, several uh, groups of people that are part of the original Rice Coast area. And so there is a list that's available online, you know, who are the origins of the, uh, what is now Gullah Geechee culture. And it'll actually take you into that West African territory that I mentioned. A lot of people focus on Sierra Leone. And so that has become that central focus of the culture, uh, of the ethnic groups in that area. Just as some people say that South Carolina is the, you know, rock bed of the of the culture, and uh, I now more and more people are understanding it's a lot more than just South Carolina. Okay, I've got one more, and I promise I'll let you jump. Go ahead, no, 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 go ahead. I'm good. I'm um, trying to. I got people asking questions, so I'm okay. trying to <laughs> So, obviously, a lot of this, you know, this is going to be slavery based. So we're talking about enslaved people. While we, we've just been talking about maybe, you know, Africanized admixtures that people might indicate Gullah, uh, Gullah inheritance, can you name some of the, the kind of larger enslaving families that, um, that the, the Gullah were kept, were kept by? Uh, you do have to look at the, what do you call the um, uh, colonists, the plantation owners that are different from South Carolina and also from uh, into Georgia. So you do, you do have different clusters of uh, Europeans, mm -hmm. but you also have to look at when, uh, what is it, uh, colonial, uh, what is it, beginnings started in South Carolina, which is very mm -hmm. different from Georgia because Georgia did not accept enslaved uh, and even until 1750, because their original experiment, being a penal colony, uh, they realized it was not going to work uh, in their earlier stage in the like 17, early 1700s. So they moved from taking the penal the uh, in England uh, under Oglethorpe, taking folks from the prisons and such to pay off debts. Mm -hmm. Said, oh, we're not being able to compete with South Carolina and such. So we're going to start enslaving those. From there, there were little colonial plantations and such. But earlier days, you look at the list that's available online of plantation owners in South Carolina and Georgia and so forth. And then you'll actually help in getting the specific names of the plantation owners along the coast. Right, because I've been working on the Bull, Middleton, Blake, you know, Blakely, Guerard, Butler, there's a whole group of us. There's about 20, yes. 20 of us actually looking in. So looking you know those us. names out there? Yes, I do. And you have the Draytons, you have the Middletons and the Calhouns. Mm -hmm. Yes, and those they concentrated first in Charleston and spread out from there, you know, into the ports of Charleston. And you have Beaufort as one of the dominant uh, cultural plantation areas. Uh, and, you know, starting in the 1600s. And so from there, it spreads a little north into the Georgetown area of South Carolina, which was considered from Beaufort to, to Georgetown as the Rice Canal. And so those particular areas that you look for the names of plantation owners 
and you know go to the list I, I do have my own list of all the plantations in south carolina and in georgia and then when you get into north carolina you are looking at some of the similar names as charleston because they uh, are family connections where who's I to say sons wanted to expand outside of the family holdings and moved into North Carolina. So you'll see similar names there. And Florida is a completely different story in terms of Gullah Geechee presence in Florida, because there, there you're talking about a lot of maroon societies, those who escape from the plantations in, in South Carolina, then in uh, Georgia as it formed. And, and uh, because under Spanish control, you're actually under uh, a, no, a non-enslaved situation. Uh, and that's where you have the story of the Seminoles, which is a formed uh, group. It is the Seminoles is a created group of Gullah Geechee. It's called the Five Nations. And it is it includes Gullah Geechee. And there's a reason why I, I now today use the word as a cultural name as Gullah Geechee. It is combining the two. Wow. That is you know, separated. So, okay, so you just kind of threw out two things that really kind of blew me. And, and that was number one, the Calhouns, because my mom is so connected. Her DNA connects to so many Calhouns. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. And it's all of the white Calhouns that she actually connects to. So... And and it happens to be these these particular Calhouns connect to what is it, the vice president I think yes yes it is the vice president of the United States all of them connect to him so um that's crazy and then you also mentioned the maroon now mm -hmm. I was told that the maroon out of Florida were Native Americans at one point. And these were the escapees. And I was told that my grandfather favored them. So are we saying or are you saying that that could be the possible way that I connect as far as this Gullah Geechee um, DNA that I'm pulling as far as the Sierra Leone? Because both my mom and myself carry a good 10% of Sierra Leone. Yes. Wow. The the reason why Gullah <laughs> culture is also dominant, or I wouldn't say dominant, is part of the formation of the Seminole is that it was a place of safety. It was a runaway. I also understand that uh, in early Spanish control of Florida, you had the uh, a forming of St. Augustine, that included so many Africans, free Africans, and that uh, you know, the with the Spanish control, you had a place where those who escaped from the plantations going south uh, from South Carolina, and then as Georgia was formed, and then then to Georgia, going across the line into Florida, and you have the Maroons that were part of the formation of also who are left, the indigenous population who are left in Florida because so many early uh, members of the indigenous populations were slaughtered. I, wow. You know, that's the easiest, that's the simplest word to say. So you have a safety zone. Maroon 
uh, variation of the term for uh, runaway uh, is where you use maroon as there are maroon societies formed of the indigenous population and uh, runaways. So when we look at the Gullah Geechee migration, and uh, we always look at Florida. And uh, in Florida, uh, as a large population of that group that also connects to Oklahoma, because you have that uh, the, during the, uh, at the end of the uh, Second Seminole War in the 1830s, there was a different route that the U.S. government took those who were removed from Florida uh, to Oklahoma. And that's where you have another segment of Gullah Geechee culture in Oklahoma as part of the Seminoles who were then taken from Florida. And uh, that's probably another trail because there are a couple other links of the migration of the culture, but that's where this, the Gullah Geechee culture links to Florida and then on to Oklahoma. I hope that helps with your, you know, trying to figure out how that Gullah Geechee DNA is part of your family. Yeah, that does help. That helps a lot. So how did you get started into, you know, into genealogical research? What made you say, oh, I want to find this out, you know? I fell into it. <laughs> Most people. <laughs> we trip, we fall, we get pushed. <laughs> we get made to do it, but... <laughs> So what happened? Well, yeah. Well, growing up in the culture uh, was difficult because we, I mentioned earlier that we are just now being recognized as a culture. We were, I grew up being laughed at, uh, you know, being called Geechee was a, a fighting word and uh, people laughed at us and we were strange people, those odd folks who are on those islands and they talk strange and they're hoodoo people and a whole sorts of pejorative kinds of ways of looking at um, oddities. And that's how I grew up. And we grew up with uh, being of a dual culture when you, know, you have your cultural language in the household and it is designated as a language. Gullah is a designated language right. and a recognized language now. But at that time, then when I go off the island into, into town, you know, we code switch. I would be, I would have the most exact and perfect manner of speaking <laughs> that we would use what we call the King's English, wow. that English that is spoken in New England, to the point where some people wondered if we were even from New England. So wow. it is a matter of how you enunciate and present yourself. And, so it's, and that's how I grew up in culture shame. And we, up and down the coast, grew up in culture shame. Do you think part of that shaming was because, I don't want to use the word resist, but because as a people, you weren't stripped of that culture, as, as other, as other African-descended peoples were? We were recognized now by as many as one of the most intact African cultures within this uh, country. And that's where 
the congressional law has been uh, passed in recognizing the importance of this, the, uh, of this, of my culture, and the retention of a culture. Where it's amazing how now I can relate to Sierra Leoneans without any problems with the food ways, cultural behaviors, uh, a lot, some of the, the, the common language, what we call the lingua franca, which uh, really is a, is a, a return from the Gullah Geechee culture back to the uh, Sierra Leone. It's uh, Creole, K-R-I-O. And Creole is an extension of the, all those ethnic groups that were then, during the Revolutionary War, were asked by the British, said, you know, you join us and we'll let's set you free. Ended up in Nova Scotia, which is another one of the cultural migration links. Some people of the culture are still there today. And then you have those who said, no, it's too cold, we're going to go back home. That would have been me. That would have been me. I have to have all four seasons. That's where the lingual lingual link happens and returning to Sierra Leone. uh, And uh, so that's the uh, common language. So I can understand Creole and understand uh, those from Sierra Leone. We have the same foods, the same links. We are linked now and confirmed linked today. Uh, So... That's uh, the, the thing where uh, you're looking at the migration, looking at the culture and the behavior and the foods and embedded in, but we didn't know until recently. We had not a clue why people laughed and joked about us. Now everybody wants to come in around the islands and look for Galagichi. You know, it's like, uh, really? <laughs> <laughs> so this is my thing. Okay, so I, I'm, I keep my hair braided. It's braided now, y'all. It's just, it's just in a ponytail. But <laughs> I keep my hair braided. And, and um, the, the women that braid my hair, and I told you this story, I think. The women that braid my hair are all Africans. Um, I've been going to them for over 16, 17 years now. And one of them who was braiding my hair, she's very interested in my research. And she, you know, Mm. she saw my book and she was, you know, really proud of me for my book and things of that nature. And she went in to tell me, to explain to me who Sierra Leoneans are. Mm. So I want to know if you know the same thing that she told me. According to her, Africans must learn all about the migration from Africa to slavery, the forced migration from Africa to slavery. This was one of the things that she told me. And she also stated to me that when they, when, when they grouped these African-Americans in the Sierra Leone area, they were grouped from different places and then placed on the boat and then brought across. Well, when they stopped, they never came back and got those ones that were there. So this made up Sierra Leone. This is what she told me. She said, so Sierra Leone is not one particular country. It was actually a mix of different Africans from different com- countries that were brought there to get on the boat, and they never came back and got them. And that's what created Sierra Leone. Is that true? Sierra Leone uh, is the name of a uh, given to that area right. by the uh, British colonists. 
uh, its origins is really about uh, the uh, a lot of ethnic groups who did trade in the area. And uh, that's where you had a uh, such a grouping of people before that colonial period that uh, traded. It was a major trade area. Uh, it's in the coastal area. And going into the interior, into uh, Nigeria, back and forth. So the uh, the thing that uh, in going into that uh, the the building of the slave castle, there are lots up and down uh, throughout the coast and around the horn, around the uh, I call it the curve into you know the uh, that Bunce Island became that island of no return. So off into collecting the people who had the skills required, requested by plantation owners. That's the one thing to understand as well, is that there was a, a skills list that plantation owners wanted. And so you had Africans with a certain skills based on uh, collectives and such, uh, the skills dominated by certain people, you know, the net casting groups and the fishers, the ones who knew, like I said, how to grow rice, the ones who are the basket leavers and such. And so you, you're looking for people with certain skills. And that collective were the ones taken and onto Bunce Island. And, you know, the, uh, the unfortunate thing about the, the, um, the purchase of human commodity is that it was a business. And it was a, an unfortunate and terrible business of human trade. And as a human trade in terms of the skills that Africans had that was necessary for the development of the colonial areas, uh, and not just in the United States, what would become the United States, because only 4%, only 4% of all the African diaspora ended up in the United States. The rest, you had that, what, 49% in the Caribbean West Indies and 47% in what is Mexico and the South, South America. So it's, you know, and they, so that's what is only dominated by. We want the certain skill and that certain skill and that certain skill on the plantation or this one or that one or that expertise. So, you know, one thing I just realized that I didn't finish the story of how I then fell into doing wow. this work. <laughs> that was, um, I was in, in uh, I, I've, having grown up in culture shame, I wanted to be as far away as possible from the islands and such. And I was more interested in, in, uh, in finding why I spoke English. Why do I speak English? And that meant following and trailing the stories of others and, uh, you know, who are the others for me are Anglo-Saxons. So I went and as a documentary producer, I went into storytelling about cultures and uh, going into the production industry. Uh, every time I turned around, I kept falling into somebody who had something that says, oh, have you read this book? This is about where you're from, Gullah Geechee every time throughout all of my career and then going into academe, running into someone who kept saying, oh, have you read such and such a book? This is about your culture. It kept following me. My culture wouldn't let me go. 
And so I turned around and I went, all right, my experience in South Carolina State Archives uh, research and genealogy division when I was in grad school was one of the most critical jobs of my life. And that's what all of a sudden helped me find uh, the ways to explore researching people's stories. And from that, I then started focusing on the story of my own culture and finding a lot of material. Wow. Well, something else that I wanted your input on, what, um, because as I said, I've spent probably about the last six months researching, along with others, uh, Major Pierce Butler, and noticing the the names of a lot of his enslaved people were actually African names. One, I was really surprised he let them do that, that he didn't make them, you know, name their children Elizabeth or, you know, Betty and Charles. So you're seeing names like Cujo, for instance, and for, off the top of my head, I can't remember some of the other names, but I know they were named for the, their names, recognized the, the day of the week that they were born on. Like if you were a male and you were born on a Monday, your parents gave you this name. If you were a woman, they gave you that name. Um, are there some other kind of you know, distinctly African names within the, within the Gullah community that, again, might trigger someone to say, oh, okay, I, I think I'm looking at a Gullah ancestor. Uh, that, those names would actually appear in what we'd call basket names. Uh, basket names or you'd call nicknames. And those are the names that your family would call you as opposed to what uh, you would be listed in in, uh, I like to say, government papers, government documents. That government that, name that the kids be talking about. <laughs> uh-huh, the government, <laughs> your government name. And so your family name or your basket name, uh, I found, uh, for example, I had an aunt whose uh, basket name is Chansom. I found that in West African uh, you know, uh, name area in, in that Rice Coast area. Uh, it's amazing, you know, my mother had the, the, the name Ada. That was also West African. Uh, she had, and, uh, I mean, it's amazing. You find out, these, but, but we know these names. But also understand that in this country, in the U.S., we have, and I've, I've learned uh, that there are 60,000 loan words from West Africa. Wow. Mm. In this country alone, 60,000. Wow. So in there would also be a lot of names. So, uh, you know, tote is a West African word. You know, nana, goober, the, you know, pint, a lot of words. Even bene is West African. Wow. So that's the thing is that, you know, it takes a lot of unfolding of just the minute elements of a word, a name and such. And, and I think I've been at this falling into it for such a long time. I, I, it's hard for me to then get, simplify how you do the storytelling and the research. <laughs> Any questions from our audience? Well, that's the problem. And I'm glad you brought that up. For whatever reason, Facebook is just like not cooperating. And normally, um, Althea, we have questions from oh, our audience. Okay. So I want our audience to know because they can hear us, but they can't see us. And they're, and they're having problems because I can't even see it. That's what I've been trying to pull up. And um, they're having problems. So I have been guiding them to our internet site, which is the Listen Vision Live. And what I'm going to suggest is that they come 
on there, write their questions down, and then come back and post what their questions are. And hopefully you'll be able to, you know, go on and answer any questions after the fact. Hopefully you'll be able to do that. Um, I'm so sorry about that because we do have people that were very, we had over 2,000 people just ready and prime. Oh my God. Yes, yes. We, they were ready and prime to just like really talk to you, but there have been issues on Facebook and I've been trying to pull and see, but it won't let me see the video. Um, so in the meantime, you can actually see us on listenvisionlive.com. Listen, listen listen yes. Um, and what we'll do as per normal, the video, you know, we will download the video. It'll be on YouTube. And I can also upload it to uh, Facebook tomorrow. Right. So, sorry, but again, this time it's not us. This is uh, it's a Facebook issue. It's a Facebook issue. It is not, it's not us at all. It is a Facebook issue. Um, but I'm so happy and glad that you decided to come and talk more with us. So my next question, and then tell me, you know, you, you was talking about um, the culture. And I think this kind of fits in what you and I were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. And I, mm. <laughs> okay, oh, so go ahead. I know go ahead. <laughs> I'm trying to I'm direct trying to frame it right. So when you discussed the culture, you said you went in and you started to learn about and tell the stories of the culture. I have a friend who doesn't feel like African Americans tell the story of the culture. How do we fix that? There are so many pieces <laughs> of history, of the story of facts that have been, and don't use the word suppressed, but that has not been learned by black folks. And yes, I'm one of those people who say the word black folks. I know the Creole is, I mean, said the coloring of people happened in the colonies, black, white, and so forth. But the, um, uh, I've, I have gone through, in, in terms of dealing with archives and such, I've gone through so many name changes of the people of African descent that I just say black, white, what have you, the <laughs> simple side things. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've run into Negro, Afro, African American. I've lived through being from colored. Yeah, yes, I'm old enough. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, Jim Crow era child. Yes, I am. You know, uh, you segregation beautiful. signs and such. Colored Negro, Afro American, uh, uh, black, and I stopped. So, as black folks, and also as white folks in this country, any person in this country, the information has not been told correctly. Mm. History has not been told in the big picture. Could you say that a little bit louder for the people in the back? Because they, <laughs> <laughs> they're not getting that. And, 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 and that's the biggest issue, the fact that people are not understanding that our history is not being told properly. And when I say our history, I'm talking American history. I'm not talking black history. I'm not talking just plain history. Plain history is our history as a whole. And until people start to recognize and realize that, that's when the change will, I think, will start to come in. It's it's all the same. There's no difference in it. We wouldn't have one without the other. And I don't see how that, you know. Well, if I can jump in there for just a second. Mm -hmm. I think it's a lot of it's because marginalized people haven't been allowed to tell their own stories. 
our stories have been crafted and tried to be force fed back to us. Hmm. And I think now that we're in an age where marginalized people, um, and there's a lot of mar different marginalized people in America, now have the tools and the technology and the courage and the ability and the talent to tell their own stories. Yes. Yes, exactly. And that is, uh, you know, history is always told by that, the, that group that is in power. And, and the person in the group that also has the weaponry. Oh. Uh, and uh, that includes, I mean, it's remembered that how many eth uh, uh, ethnic groups from Europe were not even considered white until the 1900s. Huh. And so, uh, you know, so you can't just automatically go say, oh, okay, well, you're, you're white. I mean, it's only coalesced these days since civil rights movement to then have a count of those of European descent to add as a dominant factor to, uh, against those of African descent or a Latinos or Latinx or Asian or any person of color, which per people of color means any person not European. So that you, in terms of my own culture, I have now read so many books that people have written about my culture and I see the missing information. And that's why I say I have to get the stories as much as possible from the elders and those and remember that uh, the culture that I lived. And so that's what I'm also writing about, my own cultural experience overlaid with those of the elders that I've interviewed so far and trying to get uh, more and more of the stories that is significant to the culture, my culture, because it's not necessarily, you can't cookie stamp it and say, oh, this is that person's African story and my group and my culture is another person's African story. It doesn't work that way. Right. It all depends on which ship came in. If you're even, and this is a dangerous thing to say, if you're even enslaved, because not all Africans were enslaved in this country, they're indentured or even free. Well, I left that last point in our final minutes because we're all storytellers. You're yes. a storyteller, I'm a storyteller, Althea is a storyteller, most of our guests are. Mm -hmm. And the, you know, the stories provide evidence of a rich, multi-layered culture, yes. a rich, multi-layered history, but even more importantly, they usually have names. You know, and the more that we're sharing our histories and stories, the more that we use those names will help other researchers in the research that they're doing. That's right. So out there, do you have any links before we sign off with you? Do you have any links that can that people can go to in order for them to learn more about you and, and if they, you know, hear some of your stories that you tell and things that you write. Well, I'm, I am still adding in some stories uh, onto my website, which is altheasumter.com. Uh, easy enough, I guess. It is uh, uh, Sumter with a P, yeah, to remember that. So it's A-L-T-H-E-A s-u-m-p-t-e-r.com so uh please be patient with me because yeah as a geek yes i am <laughs> i love technology i also am building my own website and i do understand the technical issues and such because i've always had my hand in technology you know combining the two you have to use the technology then to tell the stories and so i have the combining of the two areas and so that's 
you know, how to then reach me as well. And, you know, 2,000 people, please don't flood my email. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. But again, we'll be adding additional resources. Um, there's a wonderful website called They Had Names. Um, it has extensive research on the, the Gullah Geechee that were sold as part of the Weeping Time. There's the Weeping Time Descendants Facebook group. Yes. There's Afrogenus. There's yes. low, low Country Africana. So we'll be posting, yeah. we'll probably be posting about eight or nine links, as well as uh, a link to Althea's website. Yes. So thank you so much for being with us, Althea. And I hope you can go back and check on this video. And if someone has a question, you'll be able to answer it. I do apologize once again for us not being able to, you know, give you the questions that our, fa that our fans and our followers normally have or ask or just their feedback on what it is that you say. Um, this was a, a very highly uh, anticipated. anticipated show. <laughs> so it's really kind of sad that they weren't able to, to, to talk to you. Um, so that means we have to have her back one day. Yes. Oh, my. Absolutely. <laughs> How about that one? So, again. Oh, um, thank you so much. Uh, and uh, there are links that I maybe I'll add onto my website as well because people are developing a lot more links as well on the low country, uh, you know, uh, history and uh, genealogy. Okay. Thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you to our audience. And again, sorry for the glitches, but we will be seeing you in two weeks. All right. Okay. See you guys.